there's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for... Or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? Coming! And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card... Hey, this looks amazing. I'm so glad you made it. And travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. It's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. All right, welcome back to another episode of the Yahoo Sports NBA podcast. Glad you could join me, and we have a terrific show lined up for you. Two of the biggest topics in the NBA this week is what's going on in L.A. with LeVar Ball and the Lakers and the deterioration of Cleveland. How big of an issue is it? We talked to two of the best writers covering those teams. We begin with the Lakers. Bill Oram covers the Lakers of the SoCal News Group Register. He'll join me to give me his take on what's happening with LeVar. Uh, a little bit later on, I check in with Jason Lloyd, covers the Cavs for The Athletic. I get Jason's take on where the Cavs are defensively, how big an issue it is for them. Could they use that Brooklyn Nets pick to upgrade the team and much more? So stick around for that. All that coming up next on the Yahoo Sports NBA podcast. This is the Yahoo Sports NBA podcast. Hosted by Chris Mannix. From interviews. Let's bring in John Wall. He's Reggie Miller. Bring our to the latest NBA news. To insights you won't get anywhere else. Rioting is bad. You shouldn't riot. Past episodes of the podcast can be downloaded in the iTunes Store and Google Play. Why wouldn't you go back? Subscribe and leave a rating or comment. Here he is. Speaking of guys putting their foot in the road. Chris Mannix. Yes. Joining me first on the podcast, one of the uh, best guys covering the Lakers right now out there. Bill Orm covers the Lakers for the SoCal News Group Register. He has been uh, around the Lakers for a long time. And nobody better, I guess, than to talk about the latest drama in Los Angeles. It, it's never boring covering that team, is it, Bill? Not since I've been around. And, I mean, it's always something new, too. It's not the same kind of circus. I, I was talking to one of the players last night about how just, you know, it was just a couple of years ago we had Kobe, the Kobe Bryant circus, and that was its own sort of, like, absurdity. But it was, it, it was totally different from what we've encountered now with LeVar Ball, where you have somebody who's not even part of the organization stirring the pot and constantly um, creating storylines that really have nothing to do with the future of this team. I mean, it's, 
it's a um, it's it's a three ring circus every every day, one way or another. Okay, so to recap for people, what's going on over the weekend? Uh, Lavar Ball from Lithuania did an interview with ESPN where, for the second time in really as many months, he criticized uh, the coaching of Luke Walton. Said that the players. Uh, don't want to play for him. I uh, can't connect with him. That, of course, set off uh, a total shitstorm here in Los Angeles. Um, that uh, that led to this being a big story over the last couple of days. Let, let's start with uh, the reaction internally from the Lakers front office. I mean, the Lakers aren't speaking publicly on this, but what's your understanding of of just maybe the the, the where where LA's brass is with all this? You know, it's interesting because ever since Magic and Rob came in, I mean, I went back and looked at what Magic Johnson said the day he got hired, and he repeatedly said, we have the right coach, we have the right coach. And then you've heard it from Rob and Jeannie on New Year's Eve. Jeannie Buss tweeted, hashtag, in Luke we trust. So outwardly, everything suggests that he still has the support of the front office and of management. Um, privately, you know, the whispers we've heard is that he's totally fine, that this is a bunch of hot air from LeVar and the Lakers don't want to give it any um, credence by even responding to it and acknowledging that there is a suggestion that Luke should be replaced. That said, it's really, it's really gotten to a point where now it's like, well, why aren't you coming out and, and supporting Luke? Is there some reason you're trying to maintain that one little out that you didn't come out in January and, 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 and swear that he was your guy forever? Like, why are you holding on to um, that, that little bit of wiggle room? Um, because th- up to this point, when Luke wasn't under fire, the Lakers had no problem saying how, how much they believed in him and that he was the coach of the future. But at the first little sign of controversy, they don't want to, they don't want to um, dignify it with an answer, which I, I think has been um, maybe a questionable decision. I don't know that if, every, if every team would have gone the same way. Um, but whether they're going to come out and say publicly or not that he is their coach, all signs continue to point it point toward them believing in him and, and him becoming the first of the last four Lakers coaches to make it to a third season, which, by the way, is just insane. How, how big a problem do you think that the Lakers view these comments? Because I've talked to a lot of people, not associated with the Lakers, but you know, other players and other coaches who say that internally it, it really shouldn't be that big a deal. I mean, obviously LeVar Ball has a bigger platform than any parent elsewhere has, but he is still, you know, just a parent making these types of comments. I mean, how infectious do you think this is in the Laker locker room? I don't think it's a big deal in the locker room. I think most players actually like LeVar, and, and they like Luke, and so I think that's probably more of the of the dance. It's like you don't want to you don't want to you know offend your your teammate. You think you get a kick out of his dad. LeVar's been been friendly to Lakers players. It's not like. He has said, you all suck, and my, my kid's the only one who's any good here. Um, so for the most part, I think the players feel a little caught in the middle, kind of like Lonzo, because they like, they like both of them. Um, I think externally continues to be kind of the bigger issue, and just kind of the, the external narrative, because as we, as, as we know, Chris, you know, kind of what gets written and what becomes part of the national conversation can ultimately influence um, the direction of a team and, and decisions a team will make, because when something breaks, when something actually goes sideways you've already got a potentially a a a a ground a groundwork of of um of confusion or a lack of trust in in management so i don't think internally it's a problem i mean luke walton finally yesterday just said you know i'm not going to i'm not going to indulge any more questions about the the lavar thing it was pretty clear i think not not even that he was like sick of it necessarily but i you know knowing luke pretty well my read on that was that he was he felt like it had gotten to a point where 
it's a silly and it was a silly enough assertion. The Lakers aren't going to fire him, and to continue to discuss it on day three, day four does seem to lend it more more credibility than it probably deserves at at that point. I still think that somebody from management should have come out in the very beginning and said and said it wasn't true and that there wasn't going to be any issue going forward. But but at this point, once you've reached the fourth day, um, continuing to to respond to it probably does put a little more gasly on fire than you would want. Did you read anything into the fact that Lonzo didn't exactly offer his full-throated support for Luke Walt? We heard a day later, Kyle Kuzma said, I love Luke, I want to play for mm-hmm. Luke. I mean, this is not a new, you know, not not a new notice here, but like, you know, everybody assumed that this, this should have been Lonzo making those comments that Kuzma mm-hmm. made there. Did you read anything into the kind of tepid reaction that Lonzo had to all this? Oh, I mean, I 100% did. I mean, when he, when he said it, I remember looking at kind of across the scrum at one of the other reporters, and we kind of did the eyebrow raise, just, you know, just recognizing fully that, that that was, I mean, the question he answered, I mean, just if you haven't seen the whole video, the question I asked was, are you happy with Luke Walton as your coach? I mean, it's a pretty simple question. And his answer yeah. was, I'll play for anybody. And I, but I think you have to give Lonzo a little bit of a pass here because if you followed along with his season and the way he's handled media, he has gone, he's been over backwards to be diplomatic on every issue and, and painfully diplomatic. So if you look at him saying, I'll play for anybody, I think that he really did mean that to say, like, I don't get involved in any of that. Like, I'm, I'm, if I have an opinion, you're never going to know it. Like, I'm just, I'm just staying completely out of it so that none of this reflects on me. The problem is that what he probably isn't quite savvy enough to, learn, to understand yet is that by not having an opinion, it's interpreted as an opinion. And it's it, something he could have handled so much better, and it could have been resolved, it could have been taken care of that morning if he had just said, you know, I do talk to my dad, but I'm not entirely sure where he's getting this one. I mean, I love, I love playing with Luke, and that's, and, that's, you know, and that's it. Even if that's not true, that would have, that would have, um, that would have doused the flames a little bit. But instead, you know, he kept it going, and, and it was left to Kyle Kuzma, his teammate, to, to basically be the one who said that, the Lakers have there that Luke Walton has the support of, of Luke. I mean, Luke Kyle's quote was like, Luke is my guy. I love him. I think all my teammates love playing for him. I mean, it was, it was the complete opposite of what you heard from Lonzo ball who, you know, and remember when the Lakers drafted Lonzo and they traded D'Angelo Russell to clear room for Lonzo, Magic Johnson said, I need a leader. Mm. And that, that comes in many different shapes and sizes. And, and, and so far, I mean, Lonzo, for everything he does on the court has not quite figured out how to um, be a to vocally, how to kind of strike the right note when he's speaking publicly and trying to balance these. He has these many things pulling him in different directions. This thing with his dad is unlike anything else. And obviously he's not going to try to um, throw his dad under the bus, but it, I think there would have been a diplomatic way to answer that question without offending his dad and without, and without um, making it seem like perhaps he was, um, skeptical of, of Luke Walton's coaching. Here's my take on Luke Walton that I'm curious to get your thoughts on. I, I I don't know if he's a good coach, and most of the people that that cover the league have a difference of opinion, at least the ones I've talked to. Some think that he's a good young coach and needs to be given time. Other kind of, you know, some of the advanced guys I talk to tell me a lot about simplistic schemes and, you know, will his kind of laissez-faire attitude work with a young team? Uh, so there are question marks, but I don't see how anyone can make any judgments on a coach who's coaching a team that's in transition. It's kind of like the Brett Brown stuff I felt in the last few years. Like, how do you know what Brett Brown is when he's coaching a team built to lose? The Lakers obviously have no incentive this year 
to lose because of the draft situations, but there are a lot of of mercenaries on that roster, Bill. Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, I look at, I mean, Randall and Clarkson have to know they're on the trade block. They have to know that. Uh, Brooke Lopez is there as much for his flexibility after this season as what he's going to give them uh, on the court. Uh, Corey Brewer is just kind of hanging around. They've got a whole bunch of guys that 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 may not have any or, or much equity in that team. And that's got to be really hard to to kind of get everybody on the same page. If you have a bunch of young guys that you all know you're going to be around and and you're going to, to to be growing together, that's one thing. But if you've got like a cluster of one guys over here, like three or four really, that look at themselves as Lakers for the next 10 years and everybody else is kind of, you know, playing for their jobs, I, I don't know how I don't know how any coach can successfully mesh those two things together. I, I agree with everything you just said, Chris. And 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 I, I think you could I think you could make a fair argument that there are only really three players on this team who truly matter, and that's Kyle Kuzma, Brandon Ingram, Lonzo Ball. Mm. There will be other, there will be other players on this team who are back, but like like you said, the Lakers for ten years. Thing. Uh, I mean, I don't know that there's anybody else on this team that you could say that they are truly viewing as a long term piece of their future. I mean, they they're they're interested in some of their young guys. I mean, they're they're curious about Avita Zubats and. Uh, and Thomas Bryant and Josh Hart and you know Randall. I mean, I know Randall has his fans in the organization, but it, the, the whole thing. I mean, it's all shaping up for them to just continue to take their big swings in free agency and and to and to continue to build around their young core. And we've talked about what their young core is every year. It's every year it's changed because when they drafted Randall, you know, he was their first lottery pick in 30 years. And everybody was like, oh my goodness, you know, they, they finally have a young star. Well, four years later, like you said, he's a mercenary and. And it's probably going to have to take the bullet for this team, maybe before the trade deadline. Um, and then, so in, as, it, as it relates to Luke Walton, he's trying to get everybody to buy in and believe in this identity and this long-term vision of, of of building a foundation for them to continue to grow for years and years to come. Well, shoot, like you said, Jordan Clarkson is a guy who you know, has a couple years left on his contract. There was some interest around the league. Uh, he's a scorer. And so when he's on the floor and Luke's saying, oh, make the extra pass, make the extra pass, Jordan's saying, hey, I got numbers to worry about. Mm. And, I, I, think, and I, I don't mean that as a, as a criticism of Jordan Clarkson specifically at all. I think you're right that the mentality automatically shifts. And this, and this harkens back to what, what the late, great Andrew Bogut said before the Lakers sent him <laughs> on, his, on his way um, when he said that Lakers players were very aware of what was coming in the offseason and that it was a distraction in the locker room. And then that led to them having a big team meeting where they aired out their grievances and they continued to, to lose games. And the fact is that it's impossible to block this stuff out. And I think it's also really, really difficult to, to invest in anything that benefits the organization when the organization is, is, has made no bones about the fact that it's trying to sign two max free agents and, 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 maybe you only spent one year in college, but you can do basic enough math to know that you don't figure into that equation. So I, I, think, I think you're right. And so when it comes to can you, can you judge Luke Walton, I, I don't think you can do it really on X's and O's. I think you, know, you can look at the defensive effort they had early in the season, but that was before, um, things, before, before things got tough, before um, it became pretty clear this wasn't going to be a playoff team and that the offseason was the only thing that mattered. I don't think you're going to see the Lakers be a top-ten defense again the rest of the season. I think – I think that was something that you know was kind of lightning, lightning, lightning in a bottle that um, that they were able to capture briefly because they had a lot of energy and there was some excitement and then you had guys like Brandon Ingram and and um, you know and Kuzma and Ball who were thinking, hey, this could be a playoff team, let's get there. But here they are now, 15 games under 500. They're not going to the playoffs. 
I mean, it, it, would, it, would, it would just be a staggering development for them to even get within sniffing distance of the playoffs at this point. So I think for Luke Walton at this point, it's just keep, keep the wheels on the cart as much as possible and get to free agency where you can sell the vision to players who are actually be around. Yeah, and, and look, if there's one reason for Luke Walton to feel a little bit concerned about job security, it's just that you know he was hired by a different front office. You know, Magic came in, Rob Palenka came in, and, absolutely, and and that's look that that's a real thing. I mean, I, I'm convinced that Dwayne Casey coaches for his job every single year in Toronto. Like it's mm-hmm. you know when, when you have a new front office and they they automatically reflexively want to bring in their own guy, and no matter what Magic says about Luke, no matter what Rob says about Luke, I, I, you know, history it, it just shows me. Bill, that 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 these guys always want to have at least the option of, of hiring their own guy. So that's maybe the only uh, that that's the only question mark. Nothing Levar Ball says makes me think about Luke Walton's job security. But what what Magic and Rob uh, thinking about their vision, about the kind of coach they want to have with this team, that gives me some reason for pause. Well, the one thing I would I would say though is that this is the first time that uh, Genie Bus, who's the the the, print, the controlling owner, I guess for of the right. Lakers, this is the first time that she has really ever felt empowered to have a voice on basketball stuff like she's not meddling she's not making basketball decisions but she was a huge cheerleader of of the luke walton hire she's somebody you've heard in every interview um since he was hired basically saying that 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 they have the right person to guide the team if i i do think that barring just a complete and total collapse um Firing Luke Walton would mean going toe to toe with the owner of the team, who would who is, who is a huge backer of Luke Walton. So I, that's that's why I have a really hard time seeing anything changing um, this season or next summer. The scenario I can sort of envision is if the Lakers do bring in um, one or more superstars next year. If you have Paul George or especially LeBron James, and this team is and this team next year is still not living up to its potential, and you're in the middle of, of Luke Walton's year three and the team's not responding, that's when I could see a change coming. But, but this, he, he, was not hired, he was not hired as a transition coach, um, and albeit by a, by a previous regime. But it wasn't like Matt, uh, Byron Scott, who was hired to basically help usher Kobe Bryant out of his career. And, and, if, it, and if it worked out, it was going to be great. But if not, he was hired to be fired, as all coaches are. Luke Walton was hired for in the long term. And so to... Um, to cut to cut bait and run after two seasons or less than two seasons on him would uh, just be another another sign that the Lakers can't can't you know make decisions that move them towards stability, which is something which is the one thing I think every free agent is looking toward is is this is this organization being run smartly and and getting kind of their 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 shit in a pile. All right, let me circle it back to to Lonzo to to finish this. Um, there's been some exterior talk, you know, not nothing I've I've heard yet on the internal side. Maybe you've heard different, but that that maybe that, that there could become a breaking point here. That Lavar could be so disruptive, and this could be such a problem that maybe Lonzo isn't worth it. That maybe there's if there's an opportunity to move off him uh, via trade or something else, that that would be uh, be something that they would be that they would consider. What are you hearing on that front? Is there anything that Lavar could do that would make the Lakers want to move off Lonzo early? I, I I thought a lot about this, and I have not heard I've not heard it um, from anyone who would be in a position to to make that decision. I mean, there's absolutely some grumbling in the organization just about what they have to put up with for mm-hmm. a player who um, you know so far is is not transcendent. He's not he's not their best player. Um, but I I would be really shocked if after everything Magic Johnson has done and to put this kid in a position to be the face of the Lakers if they if they were willing to make a move. And I also I also don't know. What Lonzo's trade value is right now, I don't know what 
I don't know that you're getting a superstar in exchange for Lonzo and Lavar, the package deal that um, that that it would require to, to move him. So I, I think they're pretty committed because I think Lonzo has more value to the Lakers than anyone else. Um, what would Lavar have to do? I don't. I think the Lakers are 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 probably more interested in playing the long game, where where Lonzo and Lavar. Where Lavar is less involved in Lonzo's life, perhaps, where maybe there does come a time when, when Lonzo finds his voice and and tells Lavar to take a back seat and to go focus on on selling on selling terrible shoes. Um, <laughs> I, I just I, I think that that is the more likely scenario than the Lakers saying, you know what, this is this is not ever going to be solved, and we need to get off of him. I think they, I think they are hoping for perhaps more of an internal resolution within the ball family. I just think you'll get pennies on the dollar at this point. I mean, how, how do you move off a number two overall pick in the draft? You're right, who's not transcendent, but it is showing kind of the tools to maybe developing into a franchise point guard. I, I, I think you, if you're the Lakers, you just have to roll the dice that, that, as you said, that Lonzo finds his voice and he is more forceful about telling his father to back off because... I mean, if it turns out that that happens three or four years down the line with another team, that's going to be a, a bad look for the Lakers and set them back considerably because there's there's no team in the NBA right now that would offer second overall pick value. Like, for example, Boston wouldn't say to the Lakers, you can keep your top three pick if we get it in exchange for Lonzo Ball. That's just not out there right now for a deal. Well, and, and, and you know, uh, you and I are both friends with Tim Bontemps of the Washington Post. And he, no, and I'm he not, I don't like Tim Bontemps at all. No, I, I, you, I, you know, he's, he's, I, he's, well, I, I use the word friend very loosely. Palpable disdain is kind of what I He loves to say that the Lakers could, could trade Lonzo for Anthony Davis to make a more appealing situation. No, no LeBron. way. No, and, no, and, no. And, 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 and so aside from the fact that Tim is, is usually crazy and wrong on these things, <laughs> um, but uh, if that if something like that ever existed, if the possibility of, of swapping Lonzo for a, for an established superstar like Anthony Davis was ever out there, I don't. I, I would think that kind of the recent um, the the recent uh, do with with Lavar has killed that. I just cannot see a team saying we're going to give up a superstar who comes with no baggage and who is the face of our franchise for a kid who might become the face of our franchise and a father who will immediately become the mouth of the franchise. I just don't see it happening. At all, I think. I think the more. I think the, the better question is, you know, go hop in your way back machine. Are there people in the Lakers organization who who think they would have been better off trading the number two pick and and just getting Paul George when they could have gotten Paul George? I think. I think that would have been the more. Um, that might be the more likely do over that they would that they would want to do is just get the superstar you want in place rather than put yourself through all this with with Lonzo Ball. But that said. You said he's, he has he has the tools. He had eleven points and or excuse me, eleven rebounds and eleven assists against mm. the Kings. He can't shoot the ball. He was two for ten from the field. But everything else he's doing in terms of being the motor that makes this Lakers team go to, to obviously middling success. But in terms of like establishing an identity and establishing a pace of play, I mean, he is the key to what they're doing. If you take Lonzo Ball off this team, uh, they are they're winning ten games. And, and I think, honestly, I think the fear that, that I get from, from smaller market teams, not that they're interested in Lonzo Ball right now, but you know, one GM brought this up to me, said, like, imagine if Lonzo had fallen and gone to Sacramento or Phoenix, and, and you could throw New Orleans in the mix if he were traded there. Like, could you imagine, like, at least the Lakers have a, a, a reasonable, you know, hierarchy there with, with Jeannie Buss, Magic, and Rob. Could you imagine him going to a team that doesn't have that type of influential finger, like, uh, figure? Like a you know going to Phoenix with 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 the turmoil they've had or you know a lot of turmoil still in New Orleans or potential upheaval like Lavar would wield such power within mm-hmm. that organization. Why would a team like that or a GM like that want to acquire someone that could do something like that? 
Yeah, it's, 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 there's really only a few organizations where there are kind of, you need almost, like, not necessarily a celebrity person in charge, but you do need somebody with, with cachet and with, with a presence. And Magic Johnson, for his lack of experience in an NBA front office, does command that. And, and it, I don't think it's lost on anyone that, it, that he commands it specifically with somebody like LeVar Ball, who grew up, you know, in LA around the time of the Showtime Lakers, that there is going to be a reverence there for, for the Lakers, for, for the Showtime Lakers, and especially for Magic. Um, one thing about that, though, is I always kind of, I, I was fascinated by the idea of what if Lonzo ended up someplace just completely you know, far-flung, far-field. Like, what if he ended up in, just not that this would have ever happened, but like Milwaukee. Mm. Would, LeVar, would LeVar have ever even been around? Like, would he even go to Milwaukee? <laughs> that was what I was wondering before he decided to uproot his family and move his two kids to Lithuania. Milwaukee is like, like, Club Med compared to Lithuania, so I guess I guess he I guess he would have. Oh, I hear that spa in Lithuania is pretty nice, from what uh, what people out there are telling me. I don't know. From what I've heard from Jeff Goodman, it Good. is uh, it is it is a lux- it is a luxury resort, that's for sure. Never boring, Bill. Uh, keep up the great work, man, and uh, I appreciate you joining me here on the podcast. My pleasure, Chris. Have a good one. All right, before I get to Jason Lloyd, I got to tell my listeners about a great new deal from the folks. Over at Mack Weldon. If you don't know Mack Weldon, they are a premium men's essential brand that believes in smart design and premium fabrics. They are better than anything that you're wearing right now, I promise you. My experience with them has been fantastic. It's easy. The products come out great. Everything about Mack Weldon works out for me as someone that tries to dress reasonably well when, when I'm forced to wear something outside of a T-shirt and sweatpants. Mack Weldon will be the most comfortable underwear, socks, shirts, undershirts, hoodies, sweatpants, and more than you will ever wear. They have a line of silver underwear and shirts that are naturally antimicrobial, which means they eliminate all odor. They want you to be comfortable, so if you don't like your first pair, you can keep it, and they'll still refund your money. Not only does Mack Weldon's underwear, socks, and shirts look good, they perform well, too. It's great for working out. I use it there. Going to work, going out on dates. I don't do many of them. Just everyday life. Head over to MacWeldon.com. And get 20% off using the promo code MANIX. That's MacWeldon.com. Use the promo code MANIX. Joining me now, guy has been covering the Cavaliers for a very long time. One of the best in the business out there in Cleveland. Jason Lloyd uh, covers the Cavs over at The Athletic, theathletic.com. A must-subscribe uh, to that website for everything, including their Cavaliers coverage. Jason, what's up, man? I'm great, Chris. How are you? I'm good, man, and I'm, I'm trying to get people on board with the idea that this is Boston's year, that the Celtics are positioned to beat the Cavs, and I'm using as an example, example A and B, the buck 27 that Orlando hung on Cleveland the other night and the 127 that Minnesota hung on, uh, on Cleveland uh, the other night. So tell me, t- tell me where this Cavs team is at right now. You've covered them for, for, for many years. Is this year any different than what you've seen in years past? No. Uh, the defense is worse. There's no there's no dispute in that. It was bad last year. It's worse this year. Mm-hmm. But I have fallen for this before, <laughs> and I swore to myself last year I am not going to fall for it again, where they there's, there's nights where they just don't care, and it's a train wreck. And the other night in Minnesota was definitely that, uh, to fall behind by 41, and the Timberwolves are making some shots. You know, we were talking to LeBron just about an hour ago uh, after practice, and and they had a really good film session. They, they, you know, they went over all the all the breakdowns that they had. But in LeBron's mind, he felt like they only had a couple blown coverages, and the rest of it was just Minnesota making some shots with guys with hands in their faces. Uh, but the but the larger picture of this is we've been through this before. 
where there were times last year where I thought they were vulnerable, and I thought, well, there's no way they're going to storm the East again like they've done in the past, and then they went out and they stormed the East again. Mm. So I joked last year, next year, why don't you guys go 41-41, and get the eighth seed, and do this all again. You know, shock everyone again when everyone thinks that this is the time you're vulnerable. So this, I mean, this has gone exactly as it's gone in the past. We're in January now. January last year is when we were in New Orleans and LeBron pretty much lit the organization on fire and said, we're top heavy and where's the commitment? Are we, are we committed to doing something here? And uh, so we're, we're probably, you know, at the midway point, we're probably due for some cryptic tweets or for some, for LeBron to go off on another rampage again publicly. Uh, but until, until we see it differently in the playoffs, I still think that this is just the way that this team is built. They function best about the, uh, they, they function best amid dysfunction and, Nothing has really changed. They've made some key roster changes, obviously, but this is still a team that has the same mentality as they've had in the past. Uh, and I think that they, they've never been an elite defensive team. I think April, May, and June they will defend enough. You know, until that Warriors series last year, until the finals, uh, they were actually pretty good defensively. If you look mm. at the numbers through the East, they defended pretty well. So it's not a matter of if they can do it. It's a matter of if they want to do it. And more times than not, the answer is they don't really – bothered to do it for 82 games and then they do it in the playoffs they came back to haunt them last year in the finals they had some of the same breakdowns that they had during the regular season came back in june but through the east uh i haven't seen anything this year different that's all that startlingly different from what we've seen the last couple of years so do you think that they can because my my question with the Cavs consistently comes back to that defense not just the last couple of yeah. games but it's been like this for a large chunk of the season they got better in the month of uh, like late November into December, when yep. their schedule yep. kind of softened a little bit, it wasn't a, a great yep, schedule absolutely. they played during that stretch. It, do, do you think they have the horses though? Because when I look up and down that that roster, I don't see a lot of plus defenders there. I see LeBron who can defend every position and can dial it up to a twelve when he wants to at that end of the floor. But do, do the lack of of you know individual top individual defenders does that pose any kind of concern for their ability to, to flip that switch and be a, a, a decent enough defensive team to win the East? Sure. I mean, you would think, theoretically, you can just put Kevin Love and Isaiah Thomas in pick and roll and just run pick and roll with those two guys all night long. Uh, and But, they, you know, Kyrie was never a very good defender when he was here. There were, he, had, he had his moments. You always knew he had it in him to be a great defender, but on a night-to-night basis, he wasn't a great defender. And and they've, they've kind of covered for it. So, you know, there's a couple of ways to answer that. Number one, yes, LeBron is an animal defensively when he wants to be, and in the playoffs it's completely different. He approaches the playoffs completely different than he does the regular season. He said that time and time again. Uh, Jay Crowder has really struggled here. Yeah, I, I've talked to him a couple different times about it, especially on the offensive end. He doesn't know where his shots are coming from. I think some of that leaks into his defense a little bit. He hasn't been an elite defender here. He hasn't been terrible. But he hasn't been an elite defender here. I think all of his problems offensively and the fact he doesn't know where his shots are coming from and he's used to a rigid system and the Cavs just don't play that way offensively, I think that's really bothered him and it's, and it's transferred over to the defensive end. But he's still a guy who can defend. Um, you know, Tristan Thompson, I think, has been hurt. You know, the calf injury, he may have come back a little bit too soon, I wonder. You know, there were some players who thought when he first came back he wasn't really helping them a whole lot. He has since turned the corner here the last few games, and he's getting back to being the Tristan of old, a guy who can switch onto guards. He's not, a, by any means, he's not a traditional rim protector, but he can he can block some shots here and there. So I think that they, it's what I said before, this has always been a team that has outshot its mistakes. They've always had enough shooting and enough offense to cover so 
some of their defensive liabilities. So do they have a lot of plus defenders? No, but I actually think that they have more than they had before uh, because of Jay, Jay's addition. Uh, you know, if, if he can hit enough shots to get some confidence and if he can find his footing here over the next couple of months to where it elevates his defensive level again, you know, that's, that's an extra defender than what they've had in the past. And then if you really want to look farther, deeper into this thing in terms of if they do make it out of the East and matching up with the Warriors, they feel like they've got more options. Whereas last year, you know, Richard Jefferson told me he was begging Ty to put him on Kevin Durant last year. You know, 36, 37-year-old Richard Jefferson was the really the only other option that they had to, on, on KD aside from LeBron. And Richard's point was not that he's the KD stopper, but just that they were asking LeBron to do so much on the offensive end. It's not fair to make him guard KD as well. But I feel that I think that they feel like they can throw Jay on Kevin Durant. They can feel, throw LeBron on Kevin Durant. They could throw Jeff Green on on Durant. So they feel like they have a more versatile team defensively now and more weapons. Um, they're not a great elite defensive team. They never will be. But I just think that they're a team that outshoots enough of their mistakes to get by on the defensive end. Let me ask you a couple of questions about Isaiah Thomas, who's back in the rotation, doing some nice things offensively, albeit, as as you might expect, a little bit inconsistent as he tries to work his way uh, back into shape. When Isaiah was in Boston, he had the ball in his hands all the time. You know, Brad Stevens yep. empowered him, as this has been covered ad nauseum, but has empowered him in ways that no coach did uh, before he comes to Cleveland, and Cleveland has a ball-dominant player in LeBron James. What have you seen from how you know Isaiah's fit into the offense, how Ty Lue is trying to use him in the offense? How, how do you see that shaking out? Isaiah's gotten off the slow starts in all of his games. I think in the first quarter, off the top of my head, I think he's shooting 2 of 12 in the first quarter. And in third quarters and fourth quarters, he's been great. And, you know, he said the other night, part of that is this team never practices, first of all. They held a practice... Uh, in Toronto here today, and that was that was surprising that they went as long as they did because this is a veteran team that just doesn't practice. And part of that has hindered Isaiah's uh, recovery and ability to get back on the floor just because they don't go live very often, so he really hasn't had any opportunities. That's why they sent him down to the G League for a practice, just so he could get a burn-in and get a good run-in um, to test the hip. So it's it's he he's... Playing, I think I think he would say he's playing differently than he did in Boston. He still has the ball in his hands a fair amount here. I don't think it's the exact same thing. Uh, and I think that, you know, like I said, the first quarter, the slow starts is something that has to be addressed. And I think he feels like the more that he plays, the more he knocks his rest off, the better that's going to be. The other night, Minnesota is really his first bad game. He had two really good games. It was kind of surprising to see how well he played, uh, given how long he sat out. My concern with him remains the hip. You know, he said his first after his first game back that he has to learn new ways to fall. And that was startling to me because you're talking about a guy who obviously needs his hips, he needs his speed. He's a guy, he's taken multiple hits to the floor already. A ton of, I, I'm surprised at how many times he's hit the floor in his three games back. Yeah. And he's popped up every time. So that's encouraging, certainly. But, you know, the fact that, he said one of the first things he said when he came back is he has to learn, learn new ways to fall. Tells me that this hip thing could linger for a while. And the fact that, you know, I'm not a doctor. I don't pretend to play one. But the fact that he did not have surgery to repair it, I just, I just wonder. You just wonder if he does get hit on it the wrong way, if he does get kicked, what happens? What's his long-term outlook? You know, not even long, long-term, but just April, May, June, where they really need him. So I think there's still a lot of questions about him. Certainly the early returns have been very encouraging, uh, but, you know, there's an adjustment period. There was an adjustment period for Kyrie and LeBron to figure out how to play together, and that first year did not go well. 
And, you know, Kyrie, I think, was a little bit younger. He was maybe a little bit more stubborn and set in his ways. But everybody knows the, the contract situation with Isaiah and the fact that, you know, the, the type of deal he's looking for this summer. And in order to get that, he's got to put up numbers. So it's gone better than I thought it would these first couple of games. But I still think, you know, I don't think we can judge off three games how it's going to look full time. I, I still think that there's going to be a feeling out process for LeBron and Isaiah to play with each other. I think Isaiah Thomas makes any team better for obvious reasons. But when this trade went down, as I've watched the last few games, I, I've wondered. Look, he's never going to be the the type of asset that he was in Boston because the Celtics couldn't score without him. Like they needed him on right. the floor to score at all times. But with Cleveland, you know, they were the third ranked offensive team before he came back into the mix. They weren't having many problems scoring points. Where they were having problems was stopping people. And Isaiah is not going to be uh, an any kind of asset. It's going to be more of a liability. I mean, I remember the series right. last year with the Celtics and the Wizards. I mean, Boston had to, you know invent ways to hide Isaiah Thomas in that game. He was on Otto Porter, and I thought Washington made a massive tactical mistake not posting up Otto Porter uh, more often uh, than they did. I just wonder, Jason, like when you get to the playoffs, how how much of an asset he's going to be because every series, it's going to be, all right, here's Kyle Lowry, here's John Wall, here's Eric Bledsoe, here's maybe in the conference finals, Kyrie Irving. I, I just wonder... You know, the, the, do the do the minuses in some ways for Isaiah Thomas, especially if he's not the exact same score he once was. Do the minuses in the fourth quarter of a postseason game do they outweigh the pluses for them? Yeah, and in fact, that's one of the reasons why I was not high on the trade. Uh, I was one of the few, like everyone, that trade was praised ten times over in Cleveland as a great move. I was one of the few guys that did not like the Kyrie trade. For some of the reasons you're talking about, uh, with Isaiah, you know, I, Ty Lue likes to switch everything, likes to switch all pick and rolls, one through four, and then he'll blitz with the five. Mm-hmm. And you can't really, you know, I don't know how you switch with Isaiah, uh, and I've talked to Ty about this, how do you switch with an undersized point guard like that? You can't put Isaiah on Kevin Durant or Jalen Brown or whoever, and they'll post him up all night long, or they should. And Ty's point was kind of, if we switch, we just have to get him out of that switch quickly. But I just think for a team as defensively deficient as the Cavs are, if you're trying to switch that and then you're trying to switch him out of that, you are really making yourself vulnerable on the backside to getting beat, whether it's backdoor screens or whether it's just guys being left open, guys not rotating properly. If you're Because the, the beauty of the Cavs' simple system when you're switching one through four is everybody knows what they're doing. You just switch. It's just that you switch and you pick up your new man. But now if you're switching and then you're trying to switch out of it and get back, I, I just think there's a lot of good coaches can pick that apart uh, on the defensive end. So I, I do think that they're vulnerable that way. And But, you know, one of the things that the Cavs like is they feel like, again, they've got a little bit more depth. Dwayne's been up and down. Dwayne had a really good stretch. Dwayne Wade had a really good stretch for a couple of weeks where he was playing out of his mind. And and he was a, in serious contention, really, for sixth man of the year. Mm. And he's kind of had some bumps since then. He has he's had nights where he hasn't played as well, and I've you know I've kind of wondered if the knees are bothering him a little bit. I think you can see him take nights off here and there, but he's still a guy that plays his best in big games. And I think if the Isaiah thing does become an issue, Dwayne has proven more than capable of being able to run the offense. He's pretty much running the second unit, uh, so you know that's a guy who could who could switch out for you. And and the, the LeBron's ability to always have the ball in his hands and to be able to run the offense is certainly a plus. So I think that they feel like if Isaiah is this big of a problem defensively, they will have other options and they'll have other things that they can go to um, to compensate for that if he does have to come off the floor. 
But, you know, I, I tend to agree with you. And, and like I said, that's one of the reasons I didn't like the trade. Even from the offensive end, you know, the Cavs always felt like they could neutralize Isaiah in those Boston series mm. just by blitzing him and getting the ball out of his hands. And once they do that, it sort of neutralizes him and Boston nearly have anyone else to beat them. And obviously that's a little bit different in Cleveland when you got LeBron and Kevin Love and other people who can score and shoot the ball. Uh, but, you know, I think it's fair to wonder how much of an impact he will have, especially if there's any sort of lingering problem with that hip in a postseason series. And I guess in terms of that, we'll have to wait and see. Let me ask you this. The, you know, look, I understood the desire to hold on to the Nets pick if they were projected to be top five, bottom five. Right now they're not. And I'm right. of the opinion that with D'Angelo Russell coming back, with Okafor working his way into the mix, there's a chance they get better. Not playoff better by any stretch, but you know, better to the point where it's 10, 11, 12 instead of 3, 4, 5. Do you think that changes the mindset of Kobe Altman in that front office at all as we head towards early February? It may have to, but to this point, I've got no inclination that they have any interest in trading that pick. They built the entire Kyrie trade around that pick and the idea of having a piece in place to start a rebuild in the event LeBron leaves next year. And I have heard nothing to the alternative that changes any of that. And that's, that's coming. That's, that's not even Kobe. That's Dan. You know, Dan Gilbert's running this thing top to bottom. You know, he's got this front office set up exactly the way he wants it now. Um, Dan's pretty much pulling all the strings. And everything I was told over the summer was they had no interest in moving the pick. And you're right. It is slipping. And that was another one of the reasons why I, I didn't really love the trade to begin with, just because it seemed like everyone in the East was tearing down and rebuilding, and Brooklyn was the one team trying to add pieces because they had nothing to lose. Right. They had no pick. They had no reason to tank. So, I, you know, this very well could wind up in the 8, 9, 10, 11 range instead of 1, 2, 3, 4. But I still think that it's a deep enough draft. And, I, and, and, and Dan, with Dan, he could change his mind at any moment. And that's why I'm hesitant to say definitively or firmly they will not trade this pick, period, because you just don't know what's going to present itself over the next couple of weeks if the Nets continue to win. They could have a change of heart. But when the deal was made, and up until now, I've heard nothing to the contrary to, to dispute the, my belief that, to this point, they have no interest in trading the pick. Let me finish with this. The you know LeBron speculation is the is fodder for columnists everywhere. And wherever LeBron goes, it's you know, a, a story about Houston, a story about the, the Lakers, a story about everywhere. The Sixers, we've heard mentioned there. But being around him this year, do you notice anything different in, in how he, he acts and and sort of his mindset on uh, the future of this organization? No, I think he's approached this year just like he has the past couple of years. Um, you know, I, I I am still in the belief that he has not decided what he's going to do. I think how this season plays out will have a, have a, a, a big bearing on that and have a big factor on that. Uh, there have been weeks where I've thought he's going to stay, and there's weeks where I've thought this is it and he's going to go. And it'll probably be like that all the way up until June, and so we see how this thing shakes out, or if they do get bounced early, if they get beat by Boston or whoever in the East. Uh, obviously, you know, that could have a big bearing and impact on what he decides. So, But from the way he has approached this and the way he has handled this, to me, he's the exact same person he's been the last couple of years. There really hasn't been much of a difference. Yeah, we'll see. going to be uh, certainly a more interesting postseason than maybe we've seen uh, in years past. Uh, Jason, keep up the great work, man. Always great to talk to you. And uh, thanks for joining me here on the podcast. Anytime, Chris. That's it for this week's episode. My thanks to Bill Orm and Jason Lloyd for joining the show. As always, you can download archived episodes on iTunes, TuneIn, Stitcher, really anywhere you can download podcasts. While you're there, post a comment, leave a rating. You know I appreciate it. And I'll see you next week. 
At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is uncanny usa he says somebody's in the house and i screamed listen to uncanny usa wherever you get your bbc podcasts if you dare open a limited time 11 month certificate at kemba financial credit union at 5.25 percent apy it's more than triple the national average plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cd for details offer expires may 31st 2024 apy equals annual percentage yield restrictions apply 500 minimum and two hundred fifty thousand dollars maximum deposit advantage status required comparison based on bank rate average federally insured by ncua Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, limited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.